Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA. Wes Goldberg here with David Ramil, and we have a great show for you today. We're going to break down the most important keys and matchups for these finals and then discuss what comes next for the Hawks. But let's jump right into it with the biggest question, which is clearly whether or not Giannis is going to play. Bucks coach Mike Boonholzer said that Giannis is day-to-day with a knee injury. He's going to be a game-time decision for game one on Tuesday with Giannis Obviously, Milwaukee has a chance to win, and maybe they're even the favorites in this series against the Suns. But, David, do you think that the Bucs have a shot, even if Giannis can't play for maybe the beginning portion of the series or maybe for the entire series? Yeah, absolutely. I think it speaks to the fact that – I was just thinking about this yesterday. You know, these two teams aren't viewed as, like, world beaters, right? No, no clear dominant team, even though both of them – you know, with fantastic regular season records and strong postseason play and everything else, but maybe lacking the quote unquote superstar talent that most people equate with a finals contestant. But either way, even without Giannis, clearly the best superstar of these two teams uh, or the one with the most superstar level talent of these two teams currently anyway. Yeah, I, I think that Milwaukee's depth is enough. And look, I, I think that's a huge factor for Milwaukee is one thing, you know, something we saw over the last two games in the Hawks series is that they can change their style of play. They're going to rely more on Chris Middleton. They can incorporate Brooke Lopez differently. They can use him more, you know, to space the floor or attack the rim more frequently because it won't be clogged as Giannis is getting to the rim now. So I think they can do things differently. Budenholzer showed the capacity to make the kind of adjustments necessary. And given all that, given the fact that they can have other players step up offensively and that defensively they can be cohesive enough as a group, maybe not individual, maybe not with the same individual greatness as Giannis per se, but I think they can do just enough as a group where they can limit what Phoenix does well. So yeah, I absolutely give them a chance to succeed, maybe even win the series, even without Giannis. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure that they can win this series if Giannis doesn't play at all, but I do think that they could survive maybe a game or two, Without Giannis, because if they don't have, if there is no Giannis, then there's just not many adjustments that Boonholzer can get to, you know, in the second right. half of a series, right? And, and Monty Williams right. and Phoenix and Chris Paul, we know that they can make those adjustments over the course of a series, just like Milwaukee has, right? But you're absolutely right. Just to, if Giannis doesn't play even the first couple of games, I don't think that we should rule out Milwaukee from winning this series. Phoenix right now is the favorite in this series. And I think that's mostly due to the uncertainty around Giannis and that knee that he's dealing with. But if he does play, I mean, I, I do think that that should be flipped a little bit. If Giannis is healthy and he's playing, I believe the Bucks should be considered the favorites in this series. <laughs> but even yeah. if Giannis does play, we don't really know what kind of shape he'll be in, right? Like, we For don't sure. know what the kind of condition. But in, in two games against Phoenix during the regular season, 40 points per game he averaged on 75% shooting near the basket, 35% shooting everywhere else. Uh, kind of just like juiced up numbers from Giannis that we're used to seeing, right? We know that he can be a very productive scorer. We know that he does most of his damage near the paint. And we know that he's not all that efficient outside of the paint. So uh, just, you know, a hyperactive version of what we know Giannis to be. Um, yeah, if, if he plays or if he doesn't play, I think the matchups get really interesting for Phoenix because I think with Giannis, you, 
you will you'll see DeAndre Ayton mm-hmm. guard guard Giannis because he's the guy that had that primary uh, responsibility in those first two games uh, during the regular season. But without Giannis, I think you could see Ayton then guard Brook Lopez. And you mentioned how much damage Brook Lopez can do not only from the three point line, but without Giannis clogging the lane, he, he could do some damage. I mean, he had that 33 point game. I don't think we expect that every night, but he's capable of doing things like that. Sure. We know him to be like early in his Brooklyn Nets years. Like he was one of the best post scorers in the league and you could see him go back to that. But Aiton, um, I almost feel like Aiton is a bet. It has been better switching on to perimeter players and, and, and defending in pick and roll situations. He's okay near the basket. But I think mm-hmm. Brooke Lopez could dominate that matchup in a way. Absolutely. I, I think he's the physicality. He's got the physicality. He's got just enough size, enough touch around the basket. I mean, look, he's slower, certainly. But I, I think he's also smarter, or just more experienced at this point in his career. He knows how to take advantage of those matchups. Maybe he doesn't have the same kind of level of, of physical quickness or speed or anything like that to, to be able to exploit a mismatch but I think he knows how to get Aiton in foul trouble and then that kind of sets off a domino effect there where next thing you know if Aiton get picks up a foul or two early on then who does Monty Williams go to who picks up the slack there and that kind of shifts things there where you have to do things differently I, I'm a little surprised that we didn't see like Jay Crowder start off on Giannis Antetokounmpo I thought that would have been a better ma- you know, matchup for him or maybe just the first initial line of defense maybe they need Crowder out there a little bit more um, so that he can space the floor because he, he can occasionally catch fire from the perimeter so it's it's interesting there's a lot of different questions there and it's all about how they handle these potential matchups because one thing could go wrong or one player could catch fire. And all of a sudden you have these players, these coaches having to make these adjustments on the fly and that could really exploit them in a, in a short series like this. Yeah. You mentioned DeAndre Ayton and Jay Crowder there. Ayton against Giannis held, he held him in those two games to 41.7% shooting overall. Held him. Yeah. Hel- held him. Right. Shut uh, him but Giannis, down. Giannis went to the, he was, he drew seven fouls against DeAndre Ayton. I think that's yeah. where you could see Ayton. Ayton's a smart defender, but everybody's susceptible to fouling Giannis. Uh, so I don't mean to pick on Ayton here, but Giannis also went 14 of 14 on free throws on those seven attempts. We don't expect that to happen again, right? That's like a once in a blue moon type of situation. Do they count down the free throws in Phoenix? <laughs> Not during the regular season, I don't think, but oh, that's an interesting thing. Like, what, what, what are the Suns fans learn? Because that Suns crowd has been awesome during the postseason. Like they're yeah. going to throw some tricks at Giannis if he's there, right? At the free throw line. I think they got to mix it up a little bit. Don't just count from one to 12 or whatever it is. Like mix up the numbers, go a little bit faster, go off, off, off speed, you know, like mess with them. Right. It's like trying to do <laughs> the knuckleball when you're counting it down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <A little> t- <laughs> uh, you mentioned Jay Crowder too. First of all, only player in this series with finals experience. Uh, Unbelievable. That's notable. And he did great. He, he did a great job against Giannis. We remember in that in that series against the Heat with between the Heat and the Bucks in the bubble last year. Jay Crowder was one of Miami's primary defenders against Giannis. So I do think that if Giannis plays, Phoenix has a couple of different things that they could throw at him. What we ultimately will see ultimately will see is a mix of everything. Right? You'll see a little bit of Aiton, see a bit of a little Jay Crowder. You could even see Michael a little Bridges. bit of other guys. Yeah, Mikael yeah. Bridges, even a Cameron Johnson who's big for his uh, uh, his position. You can see a bunch of different things, but I would expect Aiton and Crowder to get the lion's share of, yep. of that responsibility. Uh, if Giannis doesn't play, then the matchups get a little bit more interesting. You've got, like I said, Aiton against Lopez. Then I guess you you would start Bobby Portis if you're Mike Budenholzer again. You probably yep. put Jay Crowder on Bobby Portis. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, I think, will guard Chris Middleton either way. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul against Drew Holiday either way. 
And I think Devin Booker, regardless of whether Giannis plays or not, you could hide Devin Booker on P.J. Tucker if we see the same starting lineup, right? I think Boonholzer has some flexibility with that starting lineup. But if he goes with Holiday, Middleton, Tucker, and Lopez. So Tucker guarding Booker then? Yeah, on cross matches, they probably then, then they would probably do that, right? If they're running yeah. out in transition, I don't think that that's the. I don't know. I I, I guess I, I look. We saw we saw the Bucks switch a lot more at the end of that Hawks series, so maybe they're not yeah. as worried about that that initial responsibility. But I, I think PJ right. Tucker against Devin Booker. I mean, if you're trying to, if what you want to take away from Devin Booker is that mid range stuff, I think PJ Tucker's a decent option there. Yeah, I mean, I like Booker's ability to you know to get off the balance a little bit and he has enough height to get over to Tucker. Who's not much of a leaper or anything like that. So yeah, he's more physical. Uh, how Booker responds, I think is a big question. Like, I mean, he's shown some toughness and grit throughout the playoffs this year, but I, I think there are always going to be questions about whether or not he shies away from contact and things of that sort. A lot of that's been overblown over the course of his career, but you get a guy like Tucker who can be physical, who can challenge you a little bit and how Booker responds, I think is going to be a huge factor for the series too. Cause I mean, he's, like holiday versus Paul, maybe a wash there. I think that that's kind of an even out series. Both of them have the capacity to be great offensively. They're both great defensively as well. So for Booker, like that might be the biggest X factor for Phoenix is who he can he step up? Can he have those kind of prolific scoring nights, a 30 to 40 point game that just carries the team single handedly to a win? Because if he's able to exploit a matchup against Tucker or Middleton or whoever shifts on to him, then that all of a sudden changes the series in Phoenix's favor. Yeah, if Milwaukee has their bones about it, they'd want Chris Middleton guarding Devin Booker, right? And I think that's going to be part of the interesting thing here is which team can sort of establish yeah. their style and their matchups that they want earlier in the game. Because, you know, I think Tucker could do a decent enough job on Devin Booker, but you'd obviously prefer to have Chris Middleton for all those reasons that you were saying. He you can't afford him in foul trouble, more. right? Yeah. That's that's true, too. Uh, and I think with, with Tucker, you'd probably prefer to – you know, maybe have him against a bigger body like Jay Crowder or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. time for our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week in sports. If you think joy only happens when you win, think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all of their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning, not just the end game, but the whole game. And our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week is Chris Middleton, who scored 32 points in Game 6 to lead the Bucks past the Hawks and to the NBA Finals. And then after the game, he shared a bear hug with Giannis, his teammate of eight seasons. That's joy. It's been a long time uh, coming for both of them, and we'll continue to break down this series next. Michelob Ultra, 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. It's only worth it. You enjoy it. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, David, was Phoenix's mid-range game, right? We obviously know the mm -hmm. difference that Giannis provides and, and, and doesn't. And if he's not on the floor, what that means for Milwaukee. Either way, the Suns are going to go to that mid-range game. They're going to run a ton of pick and roll. We know what the Suns are, right? Everybody knows what's coming with Chris Paul, with Devin Booker, with Phoenix in general. They're going to run that high pick and roll. They're going to spread the floor with shooters like Crowder and Mikel Bridges and Johnson and campaign and all these guys. And they're just going to try to out execute you. And so far they have done that against every team they've played. That's why they're still uh, playing and they're in the NBA finals. Um, Chris Paul and Devin Booker. They have taken the most mid range shots in these playoffs uh, other than anybody 
than Kevin Durant, right? Kevin Durant mm-hmm. is the only player that's taken more mid-range shots than Chris Paul and Devin Booker. The Milwaukee Bucks, and we know this, this is what we talked about in that Atlanta right. series, right? Because Trey Young loves to get to that mid-range and get to that floater game that he has. Milwaukee allows those things. And everybody thought, hey, that's going to be the X factor against Atlanta if they can exploit that. That thing still exists. I know Milwaukee made some adjustments. They switched a little bit more at the end of that series, but they're still mostly going to allow that shot. And they've allowed 15.6 mid-range shots per game in the playoffs. That would have ranked uh, the most in the league during the regular season. There is an opening here, Other is what I'm trying to say, David. There is an opening oh, yeah. here for Phoenix, and specifically one that could help their best players exploit a very good Milwaukee defense. No, without a doubt. I, I think uh, it's such a, an interesting matchup because they're almost like mirror pieces of each other and that one gives up the mid-range where the other thrives in the mid-range. So mm-hmm. who wins out in that particular aspect of the battle is going to be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, I'm I'm curious myself to see how it plays out because, yeah, obviously Milwaukee gives up a ton of those mid-range shots, but does Booker and Paul have the kind of length to get those off comfortably? Can, you know, if they see Lopez collapse on them are they going to feel comfortable enough taking those shots we saw how Milwaukee was able to change the series against Miami and against Atlanta that way I I think you know they have the capacity to still challenge these guys even if they're giving them a little bit more space you know you don't want to rely on those shots either you know if you if it's it's Good to have the mid-range game as part of your repertoire to complement some of that perimeter shooting or the ability to get to the rim. But if you know they can't find Aiton, you know if he's not cutting to the basket or if he can't find a way to score at the rim, if they can't find a way to get a guy like Bridges or Crowder going from the perimeter, then I think that limits what they can do. I think Milwaukee would live pretty comfortably just saying, oh, we'll give you 20 shots from the mid-range per game and seeing what we can do to shut down the rim and the perimeter. Yeah. I, I think Milwaukee wins <laughs> wins most of the every game almost that way uh, if they if they were you know just were limited to to what they their strength in the mid range game so I, I think uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I think you hit on something key earlier with the Drew Holiday versus Chris Paul matchup, right? I mean, Drew Holiday is so good at fighting over and around those screens in a right. way that Chris Paul hasn't seen so far in this postseason. He's gone up certainly against some really good defenders, but nobody like quite like drew holiday and so you wonder uh if, if drew holidays like it's one thing to just give up those mid-range shots we're acting as if milwaukee is like oh we just give up structurally right. always these mid-range shots they know that chris paul and devin booker thr- are, are some of the best mid-range shooters in the league right now and in chris paul's case in league history you're probably not going to be so open to giving up that shot anymore and that's going to fall on right. drew holiday so drew holiday all of a sudden i think you're going to see him uh, have his work cut out for him. And he's going to be chasing Chris Paul around. And can Chris Paul, in turn, not only chase Drew Holiday around, who's a, a talented scorer um, in and of right. himself, but uh, can he go an entire series just dealing with Drew Holiday, just hounding him? I think that if – and that's the other thing with, with, with Giannis, right? If Giannis plays, Drew has to do less on offense, right? And Drew Holiday could just sort of lean into all that defensive stuff that we know him to be able to do. And you take, obviously, some pressure off of Middleton and all this stuff, too. Um, but if there is no Giannis, then all of a sudden Middleton has to be your number one scorer. That puts Drew Holiday in a number two scoring role. And you need to get those contributions from guys like Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez and all those other things. All that stuff that we know. Um, well, you know, yeah, you're, well, I'm sorry. No, you're, gonna, you're kind of hinting at something that I wanted to bring up right now. But like the bench matchup yeah. is such a huge factor for me. And it seems like like we're kind of discounting Phoenix's bench to some degree because I think they can re- be a, a huge factor 
for the Suns in favor because I think, especially if Giannis is out, then you kind of, again, have to shift through your rotations. You have to play content more minutes than you'd want to. You have to play Portis more minutes than you'd want to. Then your defense gets, you know, gets exposed a little bit. If you're Milwaukee, that puts pressure on Middleton, who has to avoid foul trouble, Lopez, et cetera. And they just they don't have the depth. And then all of a sudden you have to match up against Cam Johnson, as you mentioned, or, or uh, Cameron Payne. Or, or you know, uh, Dario Saric, or one of these guys that can get going uh, as a scorer, and, and you know, Tory uh, Tory Craig too. You've got a lot of different players who we've seen step up throughout the course of the playoffs for Phoenix. That puts Milwaukee, I think, at a huge disadvantage. Yeah, I, I, I've seen it out there that the Bucks have the advantage as, as far as depth and all those things and concern. And I don't see that. I don't either. that way either. I, I do. I agree with you. I think it's pretty even. Even if Giannis plays, and obviously that adds a lot more depth to, for Milwaukee. I, I don't think that the Bucks run away with the, the bench advantage here. I don't, I don't think that at all. And, and I think the I way mean, are you counting on Jeff Teague being, uh, uh, you know, right. Jeff Teague continue to put up big shots from the perimeter. Cause otherwise I just don't see what I trust campaign is. more than Jeff Teague at, at <laughs> yeah, today. Point. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he, and not, you know, and I don't mean to make light of what campaign has done. He's been awesome. And he's been good in running that pick and roll too. Not just from oh, yeah. a shooter. Um, the other thing I want to see if, if, Milwaukee is going to do more of the switching and playing up and trying to take some of that mid-range stuff out of the, out of the equation. I do think that Chris Paul's, you know, passing court vision, basketball IQ could be a real asset here because one thing I noticed that Brooklyn did when Milwaukee tried to play up on Kevin Durant, when he was trying to get to that mid-range stuff, um, they would, they would sometimes run guys back door. So when, you know, they, they would, play that drop coverage, the Bucks would. Kevin Durant would settle into that mid-range area. Then you would see Brooke Lopez take a couple of steps up that he otherwise wouldn't take if it was anybody other than Kevin Durant, right? He would, he would try to take those two steps up, and all of a sudden, Jeff Green or somebody would be cutting back, Tyler Johnson, somebody like that, would be cutting back door. They just didn't do it as much as I thought, and I think part of that is because Kevin Durant wanted to shoot. He's not, he wasn't a great playmaker, I don't think, in that series other than a couple of games. They were obviously without James Harden, uh, without a healthy James Harden, without Kyrie Irving and all those things, but Phoenix has their ace playmakers, right? And I think that's a thing that could be there is if, if Brooklyn or if Milwaukee tries to come up on Chris Paul and Devin Booker, that backdoor cut to a guy like Jay Crowder, who's a savvy yep. cutter, that yep. could be open there. And I think that could be a little bit of a wrinkle we should watch for um, yeah. early on in the series. Absolutely. And not just that, if, if they wind up collapsing in a cutter, then that winds up leaving probably a shooter open from the corner. Mm -hmm. They can hit that short corner three and all of a sudden you can kind of expand what you can do. You can keep Milwaukee's defense on their heels, force foul trouble. I could see that being a huge problem for Milwaukee. Who do you like in the series that, now that we're talking through it? I mean, I can't, <laughs> I, I don't mean to put you on the spot and this won't be an official yeah. prediction. I'm just, I, I honestly don't know which way I lean. I, even if, I, even I, if Giannis plays. Yeah, I know it, it's, it seems like it should be a bigger factor when your your star player is out. And yet again, to, if Milwaukee plays to their strengths, they still have a chance at victory there. I, I'm kind of still leaning Milwaukee, to be honest with you. I'm not yeah. sure if this is Eastern Conference favoritism or, or anything <laughs> like that, but I, I have questions about who steps up for Phoenix. I think this might be a great one year run for them, but I just don't know if this as good as they've been all season long, I still have questions, as wrong as they might be, about whether or not this team can step up to a huge degree in the finals to support a guy like Chris Paul, who we assume is going to have a monumental series because, well, he's never tasted this experience before, and he might never taste it again, and so he's probably going to leave it all out on the floor. So, I mean, we could see that kind of 
single-handedly great performance, similarly to what we saw from Jimmy Butler last year in the bubble. But uh, short of that, I still like Milwaukee's ability to kind of change things around. I think they have the length on defense to challenge what Phoenix does well. I don't know if Phoenix's defense can step up enough to shut down all the complimentary scores like Holiday and Portis and everybody else. I mean, if Middleton goes off the way he did against Atlanta, I like Bucks and six. Yeah, there's just there, there does seem to be a lot of pressure on DeAndre Ayton specifically, right? Because Milwaukee's got so much size that they're going to try to pinch, I think, mm-hmm. Phoenix's defense. And a lot of that's going to come down on not just DeAndre Ayton. You'll get Jay Crowder involved by the rim and all these other guys. And you'll obviously have to defend the point of attack. But it does feel like a lot of stuff is going to come down on Ayton, who so far has been awesome in these playoffs. But this is a whole other ball game. You know, it's the NBA Finals. I don't know. Um, what's interesting is I, if I'm the Bucks. I would strongly consider resting Giannis. It is not so important yes. to me to get him out there in game one. I would rather him be, if he's healthy for games three, four, five, six, kind of like, yep. then I, then I think the bucks win this thing uh, just because of Giannis's singular talent and ability to dominate right from, from mm-hmm. wire to wire. But if he's not healthy, I, I, I do like Phoenix in this series because you know, it's funny. I, I hear everything you're saying with all the weapons that Milwaukee has and all that stuff. But if this game comes down to the final five minutes and it's a close game, I like Phoenix. I'm so much more comfortable. I trust Phoenix so much more in those in those spots in those in those right. clutch moments than I do Milwaukee, right? Because then you can play the foul game. You could play Giannis off the floor a little bit there. Uh, you you know you keep him out of transition and things like that. And then I and you know Chris Paul has done it over and over and over again in this postseason. So um, yeah. I, I honestly don't know where I'm at right now. Um, it depends yeah, it's, on it's obviously a fantastic series. It will be. Yeah, yeah. It, should, it should be. It should be. I mean, great evenly matched up teams without the quote unquote superstar presence. You still have a lot of all-star level players, guys in different you know stages of their career, whether young players with a lot to prove or role players or veterans that are looking for another chance. It's a lot of different stories, a lot of different great things to watch on the floor itself it's a a fantastic i see a lot of people griping about the lack of superstar players like you don't have lebron james or steph curry for the you know the 11th time in a row or something like that i i I don't have those same qualms because i see two really good teams that have managed to go through different obstacles and hurdles and everything else like that and while this might not be the lakers versus nets that a lot of people predicted uh at the beginning of the season i think it's still going to be a really interesting series with again a lot of different things to watch we're, we're not going to get the casuals watching this, right? But this this series is going to be really good for people like you and I who love the NBA and people who listen to this podcast, right? Because if you're listening to a daily NBA podcast, I imagine you really, really like this sport. So I think people are going to love this, who care about basketball yeah. and and the important players and some of the next generation stuff and the X's and O's and, and all that stuff. But, but yeah, you're not going to get the casuals who just wanted to watch a New York and an LA team play. That would be right. a good series, but this is going to be a great series too. Uh, what comes next for the Atlanta Hawks? We'll talk about that next. Uh, here on Locked On NBA, but first, David, tell them about Bet Online. Well, you mean the fastest and easiest way to bet on your sports action? That's Bet Online for you. If you've got a wager you want to place on the Suns or the Bucks, then Bet Online is the way to go. Baseball season's also in full swings. You can track all the action at Bet Online. Get your latest news and odds and info on all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, of course, the NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action before the next pitch. Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out everything they've got on their site. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget to use the promo code 
locked on. And if you make a little money over at Ben Online, then make even more. Save some money by going to a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. That's rockauto.com. You go to a store, they ask you questions, you're put on the spot, you don't know what you're doing, you feel uncomfortable. Why bother going through that hassle when you've got access to a computer in your pocket or at home? You have access to rockauto.com. Go to their easy-to-use site. With a few easy clicks, you get the parts you need delivered directly and safely to your door. Why spend more for those exact same parts at a chain store? Rockauto.com's low prices are the same for everybody. So go to rockauto.com right now and see the parts available for your car or truck. Then go to the section that says, how did you hear about us? And write the phrase locked on so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Starting July 19th, check out the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 podcast presented by Locked On and Odyssey, featuring analysis from the GOAT of NBA Mock Drafts, Chad Ford, and Odyssey NBA experts Brian Scalabrini and former general manager Ryan McDonough. Our Locked On NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts, Odyssey is your audio home for all of the sports, podcast, music, and news that matters to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Uh, the Hawks and Nate McMillan on Monday agreed uh, to make McMillan their permanent head coach. We, know, of course, know that McMillan took over for Lloyd Pierce in the middle of the year as an interim head coach. Atlanta was 14-20 and 20 at the time, 11th in the East. And then they went 27-11 and 11 to close out the season. They claimed the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference and then went to the conference finals. Um, obviously very deserving of Mc, uh, for Nate McMillan. I think just a formality, everybody expected this to be the case, uh, bigger picture, David, what do you make of Atlanta's run? And do you expect them to remain a contender next year? Oh, I, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Really? I, I mean, the fact that they were, you know, missing several key players throughout the, the regular season and, and the playoffs, uh, the fact that they had, you know, even older guys like Danilo Gallinari go through various injuries and miss time throughout the course of the season. I mean, if they can bring back John Collins, and even he ultimately feels somewhat replaceable, but yeah. you've got a great core there. I mean, with scores, with young players, with a potential superstar. I'm not sure he's quite there yet in Trey Young, but a guy who's certainly electric and can change the course of a game single-handedly. I think they've got a great future ahead of them. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if a title is realistic because there's a lot of good teams in the East. And of course, Brooklyn's always going to be there, but Atlanta's future looks bright. Yeah. I mean, look, not to take anything away from Atlanta's run, but it was obviously influenced by several key injuries uh, to some other teams in the conference. We expect that Brooklyn will be back. We expect that Philadelphia will retool and be right back there. Obviously Milwaukee's not going anywhere. Um, and you have some other teams that could be there, but Atlanta should be in that mix. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be a contender as soon as next year. I still think that there's some growth that needs to happen with this team. You mentioned Trey Young. I agree yep. with you. Every uh, He is a superstar in a way that he is commercial and he, he landed on the map, but there is still, you know, there's still room to grow there, obviously, but he's got to polish. That, yeah. yeah. And I think with Trey Young, we saw some of that in the playoffs. We saw that, that, that point guard stuff come. I mean, he needs to, he needs to get that three-point shot to fall more consistently. You know, he's not he's he's not a particularly great three-point shooter when you look at the averages and the percentages and stuff like that. That needs to come along uh, to kind of unlock that third level of scoring for him. But um, I love the pieces that this team has. And Jonathan Chark wrote a great piece for the Ringer on Monday, kind of breaking down what the long-term outlook for Atlanta looks like. And 
And you've got Trey Young and a bunch of just long athletic dudes, right? From, yep. from DeAndre Hunter to Cam Reddish to uh, you've obviously, uh, you know, got a uh, Kevin Herter there, like just a bunch of long wings who yep. can help out. And you've got Danilo Gallinari, you've got John Collins, you've got Clint Capella there in the paint. Um, you've got a Nekia Kungu who they just drafted with the sixth overall pick, I believe, at a USC who didn't play a lot, but has a ton of upside. Um, there's pieces here. You know, I think the Bogdanoviches, the Capellas, the Gallinari's, they're sort of, um, they're short-term solutions, uh, good players right now. But when you look at, you know, five years from now, there's a core here that could be really good for a really long time. Uh, the big thing that they, the big question that they have to answer this offseason, what does you do with John Collins? I mean, he's a right. restricted free agent. He reportedly turned it down something close to the max earlier in the year. He, like you said, he's a little superfluous, right? Like, what do you want to do going forward? Do you view him as a starter? Do you view him? Like, I don't think he could be your backup center because you got Capella and Okungwu. He can maybe be your backup four. But I think that the highest ceiling for this team is, is young and all those wings. Hunter probably playing the power forward spot. And then, and then Capella at center for a little while until Okungwu takes over. But uh, what do you do with John Collins? I don't think you can let him walk away for nothing. Can you? Yeah. I mean, I think he does. You're losing that salary cap slot and all that stuff. And I don't know how else you improve the team. I, I suppose you just bring him back and then maybe trade him down the line. I, I mean, I suppose, but that just feels like an incredible, if, if what his look, and, and this is not to slight him or in any way, but I, I mean, he wants to chase the bag and he can probably yeah. get it somewhere. So I think Atlanta has a huge question and uh, whether or not they want to match that offer as a restricted free agent. I, I just he's going to get paid from some team. Somebody is going to throw a lot of money based on the, a couple of good performances he had during the playoffs. The fact that he's young, that he can space the floor, that he's got this length and athleticism and everything else. So, you know, he's going to get paid by somebody. It's just up to Atlanta whether or not they want to match that offer. And I, I can't imagine why they would if they have this other depth that they feel comfortable in bringing up and, and continuing to develop. I think I as think much the as they want him back for cap space reasons, like if you if you let Collins walk, you don't really get all, a ton of cap space. But if you bring him back at a certain amount, you could trade him down the line for some sort of. I think the best case scenario is that, yeah, he he gets paid by another team, but maybe that team mm -hmm. doesn't have the cap space to bring in John Collins. So you could work out a sign and trade. For Atlanta, and maybe mm. you just get a couple of draft picks or, or a first round pick back. Mm. So you get some sort of asset back. That would probably be the best case for Atlanta. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I guess that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, like it, it kind of, I don't know. I, it's, he it seems like he's a good fit for that team. But I mean, if you've got him and Young out there defensively, they're both somewhat problematic. And while yeah. you have all these other wing players in Capella who play, who play, you know, pretty above average defense, I, I think. It, it, it given what McMillan has done over the course of his career, you know he's a guy that emphasizes defense primarily. Just who he was as a player, I I think they kind of feel more comfortable letting Collins walk and just changing their identities to some degree, getting just enough offense from Young Bogdanovich and anybody else, and then finding a way to incorporate Gallinari and these young players into a more of a defensive minded unit. So, if you were to take one core. In the East, like you got to draft one core in the Eastern Conference. How many teams do you get to until you get to Atlanta? Right. Because I think you would still take Brooklyn number one, probably Milwaukee, mm -hmm. Philadelphia, still. I know with all the stuff that's happening, but they still have Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, sure. bunch of guys. And then after that, I mean, Atlanta's got to be right there. Right. I mean, I guess you could, you could put the heat in there with Bam and Jimmy Butler and, and Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. Probably I, right I feel like that. Toronto fans are probably, you know, yelling at us right now, even as we speak. 
I get well, Toronto is the number four pick, so that's fair. I mean, that's something. <laughs> it is. It is something. I mean, they think they're right there. I, 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 that's one of the more interesting conversations over the last couple of weeks. Oh, is, Boston. I think, oh, yeah. The Pacers? I mean, nah. Turner, Bogdan, Levert. I mean, is that enough of a core? I, I, I think it's a fine core, but I think it's a notch below these other teams. I mean, yeah, I think Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Boston, Milwaukee are probably your clear top four. And I think the Hawks are right there with Miami and Toronto and, and even Charlotte with LaMelo Ball and what they've got going on there. Mm-hmm. I, you can make a case for Chicago. I wouldn't. Somebody could. Um, yeah. Right? So yeah. they're right no, there, I basically. Mean, We're talking about it still what it, what could be a perennial. It's a bright future. That's what matters, right? I mean, th- this is a team that lacked an identity for so long. Um, all right. That'll do it for us today. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on NBA wherever you listen to podcasts for 30 minutes of the NBA's top stories every day. We'll be back here next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can find me over at Locked on Warriors, David over at Locked on Heat. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening.